and welcome to the Others Podcast. I'm your host, Stephen Penny. Joining me this week, another special guest all the way from New York. Everyone seems to be from New York. I don't know why. It must be the place to be at the moment. Uh, but we've got Blake Symphony. How you doing, man? I'm good. Happy to be here. Happy to be a part of your podcast, man. Thank you. Well, thank you for joining us. So this week, we are going to be talking about SPAS. Uh, as usual, we're kind of jumping around a little bit in terms of release dates and things like that. This was, in fact, the third single from Seeing Sounds, released on, I think it was June in 2008. June or July. It was around the summer, I do believe. Yeah, um, absolutely. There's not much information out there in terms of how it actually performed in the charts. Um, it's We've got like two entries here, two really weird entries. These are these weird uh, billboard subcategories. We've got the bubbling under Hot 100, whatever the hell that means, and it got to number six. And US <laughs> Digital Songs, where it got to 61 through its uh, digital release on various platforms, I imagine. Um, iTunes and whatever else there was back in 2008. Yeah, yeah. Um, Spaz, I remember Spaz felt like, because I remember uh, Everyone Knows came out first. The original yep. version of Everyone Knows came out first. Um, and then uh, I think that that video was kind of doing its thing for a while. And then there, the next like big video or like kind of like full production was um, um, Sooner or Later. So I feel like Spaz was that middle piece. And it felt like more of a just kind of like a, you know how some album runs have like that promotional like kind of second piece you know yeah it's out and you know I, I believe it's like live footage where they were like in a concert it just felt like a soft single like something to uh keep things going while the guys were maybe promoting or traveling until they could slow down and make another formal single yeah definitely it's one of those tracks it's um it's got a good mixture of genres in there you've got the rock the the punk and then the kind of you know the pop side to it as well which makes it you know kind of commercially uh viable as a as a single um and as you say it was uh filmed in two different places um madison square gardens as part of the the warm-up to kind of one of the glow in the dark tour uh evenings and also at brixton academy uh in june i think as well which makes me think i may have actually been there and never realized because i didn't realize it was filmed at brixton academy until i actually looked it up earlier so oh, nice I think I was actually there when that was recorded. Nice, nice, so I, nice. I, I may have to go back and check the video in detail and see if I can spot myself in the crowd somewhere. It's a lot of grainy black and white uh, footage to go through, but if you find it, please let me know. Yeah, the, it is, uh, it's very fast-moving, quite grainy in places, and as you say, yeah, very black and white, so I may have trouble, but yeah, I'm gonna, I'll, I'll give it a go and see if I can spot myself on the big screen somewhere. <laughs> Be a piece of history. Yeah, for sure. Uh, the video itself was also directed by Robert Hales, who's from the UK. Um, this is the only video I think he did with NERD, but he's a, a fairly successful and accomplished uh, video director, starting out kind of in rock with uh, Nine Inch Nails and, and people like that, and Oasis and lots of Ooh. sort of big band names. And then around yeah. this time, kind of in the... Uh, mid 2000s to late 2000s yeah he was doing NERD and Britney Spears and Avril Lavigne and I think he did Love Stoned for uh, Justin Timberlake as well 
Oh, wow. Great song and great video, especially the second half of it. This guy sounds like he's, uh, he kind of hit all of the heavy hitters of like last decade. Like I listened to everybody that you uh, mentioned almost. Yeah, definitely. I think around that Lovestone time, there was a, there was a Timberland track as well that he did when, you know, Timberland was trying to break out of that uh, producer mold and be an artist himself as well. Yeah. Great, great time. Great run. It's great time to be a, a fan of producers, man. Uh, mid to late 2000s. I remember the, uh, the, the Timberland run, and it kind of coincided when, when NERD was, like, kind of not leaving us <laughs> for so long. Like, it kind of coincided with each other. Timberland kind of got his Pharrell on for a little while. I remember feeling like that. Like, okay, Timberland is back in front. Um, that was also kind of a weird time for Pharrell, I felt like, because uh, a lot of the Neptune's placements were, like, hitting the Internet. I don't know if you remember that. Mm-hmm. But, like, I, you know, me, me being a stan, I would just – google him and google neptunes on like youtube and stuff and just see what i would find for fun and a lot of those artists like um you know a lot of their songs would would hit the internet but the albums would still come out and it felt like this weird time when people just weren't using neptune tracks like they were getting in a studio with them but they weren't using them and in my perception of what pharrell was doing at the time and what they were doing was just focusing on his output just with any rd like okay the the mainstream stuff is getting weird they're not really using my stuff i don't know why I'm just going to focus on what I can control. I can control NERD. I remember he started turning up with BBC again. Um, you know, it just felt like he delved into urban culture as opposed to mainstream music and media during that time. You know what I mean? And Timbaland kind of switched off and became like the new like kind of producer lead guy. So good times. Good times as a music fan, though. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And yeah, I think if you go back and look at around that time, as you say, there's a lot of... Uh... Neptunes and Pharrell stuff that that didn't make albums and didn't get used and is being reused nowadays uh, for certain projects and things as well. So I think there's... I have to jump in real quick. I'm sorry not to cut you off. Um, I actually, because you remember around the time of like seeing sounds and not to get off this album, I remember they were supposed to follow that right up with instant gratification. And I end up running into... um, not Leah, rest, guy rest her soul. I forgot the, the the girl that was supposed to be in the band with them. Um, oh, Rhea. That? Rhea. Mm-hmm. I ran into Rhea. And this is the this is why I love places like New York, man. I ran into Rhea uh, maybe like three years ago at an Urban Outfitter, and you know I recognized who she was. I spoke to her, got a picture. I was like, "What happened to those records from Instant Gratification?" And she said, um, "A lot of those end up being other records for other people." So you're right on point with that. Like, um, and I could kind of guess what records ended up being for who. I don't want to go back too much on the tangent <laughs> in that space. But, um, yeah, I, my theory is uh, the record he did on Good Kid, Mad City sounded like an NERD record. Um, a lot of different rock records that people ended up getting, my theory is there were probably instant gratification records. Like, you know, this is my fan theory. This is a super deep <laughs> stand, you know, unreleased record theory right here. But, um yeah, it, it it was a weird time, but it was a great time to be an NERD fan because we were getting a lot of NERD at that time. Yeah, and it definitely happens. I, I remember seeing an interview with uh, Mike Larson before the last NERD album came out, um, so earlier this year, end of last year or something, and he was talking about how he gets to you know just dig through the crates. And he started working with Pharrell in about 2006, I think. Um, and yeah, he was saying just from his period there, he gets to go back and revisit those things every now and again. And there's a lot of stuff hidden away on hard drives and a lot of stuff to, uh, that we'll probably, you know, we'll, we'll never see or, or hear, should I say, 
But yeah, there's a lot of stuff as well that he gets to kind of go through and and pick out and see if it may work on some of the the newer tracks that are being worked on. I know they certainly did that with this latest album. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, you know what? I can kind of I feel like I can kind of hear that too. Um, there's some tracks that uh, like um, musically, there's some tracks that take me back to that seeing sounds era. It feels like a seeing sounds track, and then there's some tracks that feel like they probably just made them. You know what I mean? Um, yeah, well, Spaz, Spaz is one of those itself where it's got that kind of uh, punk rock influence. A lot of the new album uh, has parts yeah. like that as well, where it's quite um, rebellious, I guess is the word. It's quite anti-establishment yeah. in places. It's It has a lot of kind of punk undertones to it. Um, yeah. And that ties into a lot of stuff they've done previously, especially like Spaz, which is a uh, an obvious one. Deep Down Body Thirst takes me back to seeing sounds. Like, if there was a record that they pulled from that one, I would guess that Deep Down Body Thirst. Musically, is that they probably rewrote it for what's going on politically, but it sounds like a scene soundtrack to me. But yeah, yeah uh, Spaz, definitely, man. Um, I remember <clears throat> during this time also, like 2008, NERD just up and had a concert in St. Louis, which is my hometown, which is where I was first 25 years of my life. Um, I'm like, oh, okay. Like, we went from uh, fly or die, and then we didn't hear anything for years, and now they got a show with like common <laughs> in 2008 in st louis so i got to take it immediately we go to the show and they do the stuff we know and then they start testing out seeing sounds records and i remember they did spaz you know and spaz live was pretty cool but you know we did this is our first time hearing this stuff and then hearing it on the record feeling like sonically they did different things like instead of using the live stuff like they cut up maybe a drum break or something maybe chad cut up a drum break and start playing the drum the drums from the drum break i'm speaking as a music producer here um Everything felt like it was more like electronic, but at the same time bringing the live feel, um, like a, like a merger of it, like the energy of of the band stuff because they're traditionally a band. But um, you know everybody's going electronic now. Everybody's going kind of like hip hop's getting even bigger in this time. So like they're trying to merge the two. It, it was it was a great amalgamation. I would say it was it was a great energy. It felt like new space, but still familiar at the same time. You know it, I mean? It's funny you should say that because yeah, when I kind of watch the video back quickly earlier just to kind of refresh my memory that's exactly what i thought with my headphones on you get that mixture of the electronic sound but also those um real kind of heavy guitars and the drums and that real kind of raw band sound that you'd get you know when it's played live absolutely absolutely um and and even the way they uh went about writing it um yeah just everything about it. I really like. Um, I really like the bridge to it. You know, I mean, you as a you as a Star Trek fan knows. Uh, you know, Neptune's fan. The bridges are like heaven. It's like they add a little bit of heaven <laughs> to everything. Yep. And I, I like the way. Uh, you know, everything's kind of just punky, choppy. You know what I mean? You can't really get too comfy with it, but then they give you that serotonin. You know what I mean? With those Neptune's chords, and um, you know, you gotta get it off. And then they bring yep. you back to the. You know, it's 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 a great. It's like a Crunchy peanut butter. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? You get that crunch, but it's smooth at the same time. For sure. And again, yeah, listening back to it earlier, it's another thing I always notice about this song is that, yeah, it's it's very heavy the whole way through and it gets to that bridge and it just mellows out and it's kind of a bit more introspective and a bit more higher level. And then you get through the bridge and you get a small break and then again, it just smashes straight in with the guitars again. And it's yeah. just, you know, it goes off at a thousand miles an hour immediately again. It's a, yeah. it's a really good kind of uh, 
juxtaposition of the two kind of different sounds and styles that you get in that track. Yeah, I would say spaz and then seeing sounds as a whole also, it kind of reflects where urban culture was at that time. I think that was, and I, I put air quotes, so everybody listening, I, I'm air quoting. It's kind of like kind of like where the hipster wave was at the time. So everybody, whether you're like, you know, whether you're coming from a bunch of hip hop or whether you're coming from a bunch of rock or a bunch of electronic or what have you, pop. Everybody who was kind of part of that urban scene, we're kind of uh, putting everything together. You're seeing what what the other side is doing. You know what I mean? Uh, Fashion-wise, music-wise, just taste-wise. You know what I mean? You're seeing what the other side is doing, and you're kind of adding it to what you do. You you want to get a little bit more universal in in that space, which I appreciated a lot. Um, And Spaz kind of felt like that, too. Spaz felt like culturally what I was going through, or not going through, but culturally what I was experiencing. You know what I mean? Like... um, it's it's rooted in in a banger. It's rooted in something I could play loud in my Camaro, which I had at the time. I had this '97 Camaro that I missed so badly. Um, but at the same time, it, it could I could uh, my homies that in college that were rockheads, they could get with the with the music too. You know what I mean? So you have these rap and rock elements. You have these electronic elements. It's just it felt fresh. It felt new. Um, the whole album did, you know. But uh, Spaz specifically, it felt fresh, new. Uh, it, it was. The energy, it was pent up, it was tension, but then, like like I said, the bridge gave you that release also. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it's one of those tracks as well that works um, because of that, that difference in it. It works really well live because you have that two minutes of just jumping around, headbanging, whatever it is. Then you get that kind of 20 or 30 seconds, whatever that bridge is altogether, of just calmness. Then immediately, yeah. like I say, it just... It, shoots off at a thousand miles an hour again and everyone gets crazy again it it works really well as a live track as well that's something that i've learned like the the neptunes fired up when i was a kid just learning how to make beats and the beats were so simplistic that i could hear what they were doing and it kind of guided me you know they weren't like track master beats where they're so layered and thick i have no idea where to start no i could hear everything going on and um you know it was it's it taught me to to uh, balance the the tension and the choppiness with the smoothness. I got that directly from the Neptunes. Um, you know, uh, so many different bridges. Like the other day, I looped "Hit the Freeway," the Tony Braxton joint, um, and she has this bridge, and I want the whole song to be the bridge. <laughs> so bad. It's an underrated it, track. Jesus, man, it is such an underrated track, and the bridge is so good. Same thing, and so many tracks with great bridges. Spaz, Spaz, if it gets a little annoying or if it gets a little, like, doesn't fit your mood, the bridge just brings you. It's like, no, nah, I'm still giving you the serotonin, man. I'm still giving you the, the elevation. Him and Tyler. Tyler, out of everybody in music right now, Tyler, the creator, probably does that just as well. Like, his bridges are crazy. Um, yeah, that's a whole nother tangent, man. I'm trying not to take you all over the universe. but We can go whichever way you like. It's fine. <laughs> it happens okay. most weeks, so don't worry. For- for one second, can we talk about the the bridge on nine one one with uh with Frank Ocean? The um ah, man. Like if you listen to the chords doing the bridge, it's it's like heaven. Like I got I wish the bridge was like two minutes long. You know what I mean? So I don't know, man. It's bridges are big. Bridges are big. He uh he really did his thing with the bridges on uh they really did their thing with the bridges on uh Justified also. Yeah, that's definitely. a whole nother that's a whole nother sermon right there. Um, but yeah, the uh, 
the, the crunchy with the smooth, that's really what I take away from Spaz. A lot of the tension building up, but Pharrell being who he is, like, you know, you could tell you could tell as a human being he has these two different sides. He has this side where, you know, he came up around like the clips and he saw what they were doing and things could get real, but then he's also this guy who grew up in the church and he's more of a nice guy by nature. So it's just like, listen, we can fight or we cannot fight. You know what I mean? We could, you know, like Thrasher. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, um, we could do this or we cannot do this. It's two sides to it. And I appreciate that. So much of music is just tense and anger, but like that that other side isn't pre- uh, presented. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So. And just to, uh, something I just thought of as well, like going back to a point you just made a minute ago about the, the things that were happening in kind of culture and, and fashion at the the time as well. It's It's around that time those yeah 2008 2009 where we're starting to see quite a a big change in in culture and and fashion in terms of especially uh, around kind of hip-hop and stuff like that we're starting to move away from the baggy jeans and tims and you know those kind of stereotypical things that we would see we saw in hip-hop in the late 90s and early 2000s and we're starting to see the likes of pharrell wearing the tight t-shirt the we're not i don't think we're at skinny jeans quite yet but we're we're looking at like slim fit jeans and you know definitely and and, and yeah the fashion's making um i don't know how quite to phrase it the the fashion matters more now people aren't just looking at the fashion like they were in the late 90s early 2000s and saying Oh, that's that's Versace. That's cool. That's Gucci. That's cool. People are now actually caring about the brands that are being worn and the the styles that people are wearing. So the likes of Pharrell, yeah. and obviously this is um, this is still the time when he was you know really wearing his you know the BBC stuff and the ice cream stuff and uh, yeah. we've still got the Bape stuff. I think in this video we've got a, a Bape SpongeBob T-shirt. We've got. Uh, an ice cream hoodie, a couple of BBC hats. Um, I think he was wearing Vans at the time. He was going through that kind of period. Yeah. So we're, we're yeah. kind of, we're off Bapes and uh, ice creams at that sort of time for a little while. But yeah, this is where I think artists are really kind of trying to differentiate themselves a little bit more. This is just when I think the the market's starting to maybe get a bit saturated because um, it, it's a great time for music in terms of you've got a lot of it and you can pick out some good stuff, but you've also got the likes of, let's say, like Timberland as an example, one of like the greatest producers. Yeah. And obviously he's been, you know, he's he's rhymed for years and stuff. I wouldn't say he's particularly good, but this is kind of when he was you know, really trying to push himself as as a kind of solo artist and a lot of people right. were doing that around the same time. So it's one of yeah. those times where people are really trying to differentiate themselves. And I think the fashion and the things around that really kind of started to matter more. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I guess uh, going back to what you were saying with Pharrell and where he was in retrospect, I look at where he was with seeing sounds and, you know, going heavy with the BBC and ice cream um, and stuff like that, the bait and a thinner version was probably the more refined version of uh, where he was with the In My Mind stuff, like where he was the, with the Hell Have No Fury In My Mind, where everything was baggy and a little bit, you know, way more in your face and flashy. Yeah. It's almost like um, if anybody out there watches watch Dragon Ball Z growing up, Majin Buu starts off as this like plumpy, like pink 
villain, right? Like almost like the Marshmallow Man or something. But then the second form of him is like this skinny, trimmed down version. You know what I mean? It's probably like more efficient. Like you know, that's how I look at the the jump from like probably like the '06 uh, in my mind era where he's like rapper mode, but splashy camo bait, and then he goes to seeing styles that's more trim, it's more skater, more rocker. You know yeah. what I mean? Which is where we are, kind of. Uh, which is he kind of him and Kanye probably pushed culture. Uh, by making those moves. Being in St. Louis at that time and following those guys directly and being on their blogs every day, so making the fashion changes when they actually happened versus being in a Midwest town where changes happen on delay. <laughs> I took a lot of skinny jeans arrows. Like <laughs> A lot of kids didn't have to deal with the skinny jeans teasing because I probably took the arrows first. Like I took a lot of skinny clothes. My parents asking me, like yeah, it was a lot, man. It was a lot. Um, but, you're a, trend, uh, you're a trendsetter. I, I guess I was. I guess for me, I'm looking at, you know, the guys who are introducing it to me. And I'm just like, man, I don't know what their source is, but I'm glad I, you know, I have my eye on them. But for the rest of the world, who's not swimming in the deep depths of the Internet every day. You know, they're like, what are you wearing? Like, you know, I think but I, on the flip. Go ahead. I was going to say, I, th- I think a lot of us that, that kind of follow the likes of BBC, BAPE and associated brands, I think, went through that at, at some point as well, especially yeah, in those kind of <laughs> mid to late 2000s when we're wearing all sorts of crazy, colourful camo and yeah. all the weird and wonderful designs that, um, that were being put out then. Uh, I know back then I would regularly get, you know, weird and wonderful comments from people and where I'm from, you know, a small town in the UK, nobody else was wearing this stuff. You would you would never yeah. see it. I'd have to, you know, travel up to London to to see, you know, other people wearing similar stuff. So in my kind of um hometown, in my kind of circles of friends and family, like no one had a clue what I was wearing. Yeah, yeah. For me it was the most in tune of the most in tune there in the city that would totally get it totally understand and totally be on the wave too but yeah everybody else was just like i know where that's coming from i don't have the courage for it yet or that is totally foreign to me and you look crazy right now why are your jeans so tight (laughs) (laughs) why are your shoes so colorful why are you wearing completely pink shoes yeah it was uh but it felt good though it like i said all of this was new space it felt like new space it felt exciting um it almost felt like a cultural uh visa also because now the things that used to make me uh, maybe at first glance be this or that is somebody's first perception. Now somebody sees something else. Now they see, oh, okay, uh, what used to be like a huge jersey and baggy pants and like a hat. I don't know what I'm getting here. I'm not used to this. I don't have any black friends. I don't have any friends that's really connected to hip hop or urban culture. Now I see a guy that's wearing like a t-shirt that looks cool to me. He has pink shoes on. I should probably have a conversation with him and see what he's all about rather than make some kind of crazy assumption. You know what I mean? So that era was like a cultural exchange era and I appreciate it a lot. And it's not, I was always that kind of guy anyway, but now it was becoming the norm. You know what I mean? Um, it was the cultural equivalent of like pronouns. You remember the kid sister track? Yeah. She's rapping, but it's like this electronic beat, but it's like this, I don't know who the sample is, who, who did the hook. It sounded like Project Pat or something, but it's, it's all of these elements in one, and it feels cool for everybody. You know what I mean? Hit me, or, or hit me on my beeper. Like, it feels good for everybody. Yeah. And that culturally, that's what it felt like, and the clothes were a big part of that. BBC Ice Cream was a huge part of that. Pharrell was a big part of that. Um, it's, it's, I kind of wish, it's 
I guess it's grown out of that place and it's been in that place for so long that we don't think about it. But um, I do kind of miss the feeling of everybody being open-minded. I feel like now a lot of people are open, that they're accepting of some things because it's already normalized, but they're still close-minded to other things. You know what I mean? But in that space, it was more like, no, it's cool to see what's going on on the other side. Like, get out of your box. It's cool to be out the box. It's cool to see what's going on and, and be on something different. Because if you're two the same, that's not even, that's kind of lame if you're two the same now. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? So um, I, I appreciate that era. The clothes were a huge part of it. They were a cultural exchange. BBC Ice Cream was the forefront of that. You know what I mean? So it, it was fun, man. Fun stuff. Adventurous. Yeah, exactly. And I think it was... Um... We had that with the clo different clothing lines, and we had that with the music at the time. I say it, it may have uh, there may have been a lot of artists and may have diluted some of the music, but at least people were kind of out there trying stuff, yeah. and you know there was something for everybody essentially. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I think um, the the generation of rappers that we got post two thousand eight was probably a direct result of like. Uh, kind of like that N.E.R.D. Kanye thing that they had going on. Lupe too at the time also, where you had like uh, at the time like the Charles Hamiltons and you had like uh, uh, Mickey Fax and Wale was coming up at that time. Uh, Big Shine was peeking through the dirt at that time. He he had, he swelled up as time went on, but you had a whole new slew of rappers that were already there. They're already with it. Cool Kids, they were like beacons of that era also. Um, you know, I always look back on that era. <clears throat> and say that's the era that birthed me you know what i mean that that's the era that i kind of made an entry point like in that same period of time like in 2009 2010 i had like in st louis i had like my first song on the radio like their equivalent of hot 97 in new york that 104.1 that was when i was rapping that's when i was sending stuff to blogs that's when i was you know trying to do my thing before i came to the east coast um and got into media and it's just um it, it gave birth to me i, I found myself in hip-hop in that era. Before then, it was like, okay, I'm kind of fabulous, but I don't have the street stuff going on. I'm a little Nelly. He's from St. Louis. I like what he does. I'm kind of like Usher, but I can't sing. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> but in that era, you know, and Kanye had already started it. Pharrell had already started. But in that era, the whole culture became like, no, this is exactly who you are. Like Kid Cudi, this is exactly who you are. This kind of guy. You know what I mean? Not too much of any one thing extreme. This is exactly who you are. Um, and the clothes, once again, not to be too redundant, the clothes were a cultural exchange, man. It was, it was great. Yeah. No, it was that, great. And as we said with the fashion, I think that's, that's happened to a lot, of, uh, a lot of us, a lot of listeners out there. You know, we, we don't feel we belong in one kind of certain group over there. Maybe it's the cool kids or maybe it's people doing things they shouldn't do, let's say. Or we don't feel we yeah. fit quite in. We kind of, you know, hover over the over the boundary of both maybe or more than both yeah um and this is when it Absolutely. became more i guess acceptable to kind of be like that and start being yourself as opposed to being kind of pigeonholed in a in a certain group yeah i think it was uh it was right now everybody uh you know it's it's almost a corporate coin now uh the creator term you know where it's i feel like that era gave birth to the creator um, where we were figuring out what it is to be this pluralist, to, to, be in, to kind of be able to do different things and be in different spaces. Um, we couldn't coin it then, but I think it's coined now. I think the creator thing and how people carry that comes directly from that uh, blog era, that, uh, that first era of like 
I, I hate to say hipsterism because it always had this bad uh, connotation, but I look at it affectionately, you know, the, the air quote hipster, hipster era. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It gave birth to how we do things now. That's the norm. You wouldn't even have like the kids, like the like the Tyler, the creator, like uh, I would even say like Donald Glover. You wouldn't have people like that who are these pluralists who can do different things without that era. Like it was just no room for it. You know, people existed like that, but it wasn't the norm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, I would even say Will Smith. Will Smith was probably like the ancient grandfather version of like the creator, like the actor, <laughs> rapper, produces stuff. You know what I mean? He's probably like the, the, the ancient architect of that. Um, but later down the line, we, we got the whole servant of it um, in that blog era, that hipster era. Will, Will Smith's a good uh, good choice of an analogy. I can't even say the word analogy there. Yes, <laughs> and, it's, and it's weird because back then, you know, we I think a lot of people would look at him as at one moment he's credible, then he's a bit cheesy, then he's kind of credible again. But now, when you look back, now that he's was he just turned fifty or something, hasn't he? Crazy. And and you look back now at his kind of catalogue of work, it's you see kind of why people do this stuff and they're just enjoying yeah. themselves and they're trying to be themselves and uh, and take the opportunities in the work where they can. And and now even when I look back and you look at the some of the, the cheesy kind of stuff and the stuff that isn't credible in air quotes, it's, yeah. it's still, you kind of forgive him for that. You don't mind that yeah. so much. It's just, you don't you know, mind it so much. Um, Listen, man, you can be, you know, insert, super credible rapper with songs that didn't make it out of the generation, or you could be getting jiggy with it and play your song in Finland and everybody goes crazy and enjoys themselves 20 years later. You know what I mean? And I'm not saying that's everybody's thing. I'm not saying every artist should have been that, but he got it. You can play men in black. You can play getting jiggy with it. You can play uh, the Fresh Prince theme song. And everybody in the world knows the music. Yeah. You know what I mean? So you don't get all of the, the street hood credibility um, in the moment, but for the rest of your life, you have records that never die. You yeah. know what I mean? And then he has Summertime. So if you're friend on him, he still forever has a Summertime hood pass. Yeah, for sure. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? So Forgives like everything. You still, yeah, you still got it. You still know that he's still down, but he does his thing. And then he has Oscar nominations and billion-dollar movies. Come on, man. Will Smith is a man, but... He, he opened that up. I say he's like the grandfather of just doing your thing and being an individual, no matter what anybody says, and shining off of it and tumble down. Now you have guys like Uzi Vert and Lil Yachty who, regardless of how you feel about them, they can be totally comfortable in their own skin. You know what I mean? And I think the blog era birthed that. You know what I mean? Even Soulja Boy was part of the blog era in his own bastardized way. Um, he was so super internet. He wore Babe, even though it was fake at first, before he got money. Yeah. Um, you know, he's making his own beats. You know, I mean, he had, he had a clothing line, no matter how crummy it was. You know, he's doing these things. He was like the, like the kind of crummy version of everything I was saying, but he was doing it. And he showed a bunch of kids his age, like, yo, just go for it. The one thing I envy about the kids, you know, that's kind of like a half generation below me, like five to ten years younger than me, is that... They had the information, the inspiration, and the leeway to just go and do it right away. You know, they yeah. didn't have to learn, like, the old ways of doing stuff like we did from our parents. And then things converted as we got older and we had to figure it out. No, they had the new layout ready for them when they became of age. You know what I mean? So all of that came from this blog era. Every All of that came from the seeing sounds, spaz, 
um, you know, glow in the dark, uh, graduation, all of that came from cool kids, all of that came from that era. You know what I mean? Yeah. All and of it came from that era. And it kind of ties in as well to some conversations I have with people sometimes around some of the Neptune stuff where maybe around that time they were also kind of spreading themselves a little bit thin in places and um like you said you know there's a lot of stuff they produced that never actually made the cut because they were just constantly outputting something whether it was good or whether it wasn't they were constantly kind of yeah. outputting it but when you look back in hindsight and i can't remember where i heard the story it was it was an actor of some kind that i heard talk a few years back and they were saying like why have you made all like the all these kind of really crap films you're known for you know you i can't remember who it was but i think they'd won like an oscar or an emmy or something they had some absolute you know cult classics but they were also making like really bad films as well it may be like yeah. nicholas cage or somebody like that along those lines yeah and um and they were saying it's because because i'm in a position where i have the opportunity not everyone will like that cheesy film that I make that um, isn't like a smash hit, but if a few people like it, then that's fine. Like my my experience doing that crap project helps me learn how to make the next project better or to pick the next project better or how to apply myself differently. Or it also lets me take that money and then in two or three years' time, I can take all that money I've made from these really crappy films and I can go away and make one of those really... Um, highly thought of independent films which yeah, is going to go absolutely. to like you know the Cannes Film Festival or Toronto Film Festival or somewhere and you know win a load of awards so I, I think from like an outside perspective it doesn't it doesn't always seem like that it just seems like the likes of Will Smith just chooses to do some cheesy shit because it's just gonna bring in a lot of cash but there's there's normally a bit more to it than that it's normally an opportunity opportunity to actually do something else uh, within the industry or for their own kind of personal um, uh, growth and development. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's exactly it. Yeah. Um, I would say this, bringing this back to uh, the Neptunes and well, Pharrell specifically during the same time when the mainstream records were slowing down, like after like hard candy, it's just like he couldn't land a song to save his life outside of like Jay-Z. Um, he did work on Despicable Me. And I remember the first Despicable Me soundtrack I really enjoyed. The uh, my favorite song off of there was Fun, Fun, Fun. Yeah, it song, it, yeah. it just it took me back to being like third, fourth grade. You know, summer vacation. You know, amazing song. If you ever talk about that soundtrack, please call me back. Yeah. Um, but uh, that I remember. <clears throat> you know, now that you said that with the growth and development and trying new things. Pharrell does movies left and right now, and he soundtracks them left and right. And he took the opportunity to be like, okay, I've made literally hundreds of songs, a ton of hits. This is slowing down for now, but I have an opportunity to do this movie soundtrack. You know, So he had to get quiet, get out the way, stir up something else, kind of plant another seed. And now he's a movie guy. You know what I mean? Exactly. And I think if you look back at that time, and, and again, when he did like this, when they did the SpongeBob stuff as well, there are like yeah. hardcore NERD fans and Pharrell fans saying like, "What the hell is this? This isn't this isn't Pharrell. This isn't NERD." But it's not for you as a hardcore fan. It's for a completely different audience. It's for a completely different experience for other people and for for the like and for them to be able to, as you say, kind of grow and develop themselves as well. And like you say, he's gone from doing 
the likes of Despicable Me, which was huge anyway, but I don't think we really expect necessarily expected it in the soundtrack to be that big. To to yeah, like going out into Happy, which you know produced you know excelled him to another level. And now, Absolutely. yeah, now he's doing, you know, he was doing like Spider-Man and all these kind of, you know, huge, big budget Hollywood movies. Yeah. Yeah. And man, you just mentioned Happy and Happy was technically on the second round, like the second soundtrack. I think they just, they were keeping some of the same songs from soundtrack to soundtrack. You don't get Happy unless he's sitting in the studio working on a soundtrack for a movie for CeeLo. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. Like growth and development, man, using new opportunities. Like you don't get his biggest hit and the biggest hit of the decade um, without that process, without him stepping away and saying, okay, this is a specific purpose for a specific scene. They've rejected nine versions of this song already or whatever. You know, you, you, you have to, and it goes back to, it goes back to what we were saying, man, accepting different things, trying different things. You know what I mean? Uh, I, I was in college uh, in that 2008, 2007, 2009 era, you know, I have friends with bands. I always liked rock, but it's like, now I'm stepping into it. I want to be at your show. You know, I want to see what this other stuff is about. Um, and it came from that NERD mindset. Let's let's do some other things. Let's, let's pluralize ourselves. You know what I mean? Not just be boxed in. Him not pluralizing himself led to a process and a series of events to where he got the biggest hit of the decade, you know, that he was trying to give away. <laughs> yeah, it's just the algorithm didn't let him. You know, it was time for him to have that because for 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 Neptune fans, for NERD fans, he was already the happy. He like he, we the his worth for happy that the rest of the world saw. He was already that for us the whole time. It's like didn't you hear frightened? Like you didn't know he's good at this stuff, but the rest of the world finally got it. You know what I mean? Yeah, so yeah, it was it, it's embracing the process, man. Embracing stepping stepping across. Like at some point. You probably were like, okay, I do this and I do that, but I want to try this podcasting thing out. I want to put this together. And you literally got Shay on the show. That has to be like a pinnacle point. Like it's a it's a Star Trek podcast and you got an NUID member on the show. Like, you know what I mean? But exactly. if you didn't step across and try something else, get your mic together, just put it together, get that those first couple podcasts out, you know, where would your process be right now? Exactly, exactly. We've so, yeah, um we, we've digressed quite a bit. I, I did say that was okay to do so. We could go off some weird tangents. Um, <laughs> I'm just trying to think if there's anything else to mention about the video that we should, because um, otherwise somebody will complain about something. I'm sure. But I think we covered most of it. I think we covered it all. See, well, they didn't even they didn't even give Spaz the energy that we're giving. <laughs> like I love Spaz, but they didn't even like. Uh, this wasn't a, a huge campaign for them. It was like this kind of gym, like this this little nugget of energy in the bigger body of work. You know what I mean? So yeah, um, it it, just, yeah. it it seemed like a, a kind of radio friendly kind of track that we'll we'll put out to bridge a gap. You yeah. don't you don't need to film. You don't need to take a couple of days off to film a video. We'll just you know the director will turn up at a couple of shows and film you there doing a normal yeah. show that you're already getting paid for. So don't worry about yeah. it. And then we'll right. st- stick a few graphics on it. We'll make it look nice. We'll stick it out. It will do the job. Yeah, yeah. But I say so, that, and um, it, it's still to, to me, it's still a good track. I still listen to it regularly. Um, absolutely. As I say, seeing it live is always um, always a treat. Cause it is one of those that goes kind of. At 100 miles an hour and really gets a crowd going so i do, do always really enjoy sort of seeing it live absolutely no it was probably made for a live performance it's one of those songs where it's just like yo put it on we, we need some turn up you know what yeah. I mean? we need a turn up song um yeah 
Yeah. Um, before you let me go, I'm just going to throw this in the air. And we don't have to talk about it now because it's not about this topic. But there are a load of Pharrell slash Usher songs on YouTube. I don't know if you've covered this yet in an episode of yours. But they have like an EP or a small album's worth of collaborations that just never landed. So I'm not going to take you off on that tangent Mm -hmm. because we have a topic. But if you ever need to delve into those tracks that I treat like an album, a ghost album that just never dropped, I am here for you, sir. (laughs) Yes, I I, I know there are a lot out there. I probably have most of them uh, in my iTunes library. and yeah, I, I think once we get through all of the, the singles and stuff, we're definitely kind of going to circle all the way back round and start talking about all the weird and wonderful stuff that most people have uh, never heard of. So we, I, I'm sure we will get to uh, that kind of thing for sure. One more, one more thing I'm going to toss up there for you, just, mm. just so you know, I, I, you got a guy out here for it. The theory. Okay, so I have a producer friend named Tapes. Um, he's a producer signed producer he told me years ago and he was part of like it's kind of like the studio group that ended up birthing like smino and chance the rapper like i was around these guys at the time um but this was years ago before everybody kind of made it out of chicago anyway he told me that he heard a rough demo of michael jackson singing you don't have to call now this is it was originally written for him i think that's right um uh, I think that's kind of, I was going to say, public record in air quotes. I'm, I'm fairly sure right. Pharrell and or Usher has mentioned that. But I would be, I I wasn't aware that Michael had actually got on it at any point and done any kind of rough cut or demo. That it, it's, it's pure theory and, and myth because I've never heard any audio of it, but the guy swears. So that, that can just be a myth we could throw up there. But um, yeah. I just wanted to throw those out there so you know that I'm stewing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it, it, it wouldn't surprise me. You know, Pharrell has said he wrote that for him. Um, Michael Jackson was, I was going to say cut close to Usher, but was friends with Usher. They did a number of live performances together. Um, yeah. I know Pharrell had had yeah, a, num- a, a few conversations with Michael over the years and stuff about trying to get, yeah. get something kind of worked out. So it, it wouldn't surprise me if, you know, a beat kind of got to Michael and they asked for something, you know, for him to do some kind of demo or rough cut so they could just kind of see how it may work. And, and then decided, or Michael's people maybe decided they didn't like it as they always used to seem to decide in the later days. And then, then it went elsewhere, but I wouldn't, wouldn't be massively surprised. You know how in Indiana Jones, how they were looking for like the Holy grail or whatever. And like, they got to it and it was like ghost and stuff. And like, you know, they, for me, a recording of Mike actually on top of a Neptune's track, no matter how rough or undone it is, would be like the holy grail of recordings. My favorite yeah. artists of all time or my favorite producers of all time. I don't care if he's coughing on the track and they turn it off. I just need it to exist. So, but anyway, <laughs> that's pure theory right now. I'm with you on that for sure. <laughs> um, but yeah, I'm gonna, I'll throw that out there to a few people because I'm, I'm, sure other people will have heard of that theory if it's uh, been floating around for a little while yeah man all right let's also let's quickly move on and we can mention a few bbc things uh we had i think i mentioned this in the last podcast but the sandal boys drop uh that happened i think there was an initial sellout there's been a further drop so if you're still after a pair of the sandal boys 
beepers and butts uh, sandals. You can get a pair, I think, from BBC Ice Cream online at the moment. We've got the the new and recent resurgence of ice cream. Uh, so not only the made in Italy stuff, but we've also got some standard releases of ice cream. We've got belts and hats. Um, with running dog graphics, cones and bones, and a few new designs as well. So if you're an ice cream fan and you love those uh, OG logos, you can find them on the BBC Ice Cream website and in the store. There's a new BBC Kids drop. So a lot of people probably won't realise that a number of years back, BBC did some uh, kids wear, which was mainly tracksuit bottoms and hoodies and different colours and stuff. Uh, They've actually repurposed some of the recent adult designs i think from the spring or yeah spring or summer uh to uh kid sizes so if you've got a kid and you want to cover them in bbc stuff you can do that now as well again uh only us at the moment i believe if you're over in europe like me uh bbc eu have just dropped their new autumn winter stuff or the first drop of many as as they normally do um there are some quilted shirts and check designs very autumn wintery looking uh and that's going alongside the bmx and dirt bike stuff that uh the eu and us are pushing at the moment and also as we seem to mention pretty much every week new tennis hues i think there are two new colorways there's a navy blue and what adidas call a raw green color um so if you want some tennis hues and you want those colors you can go and get those if you're like me and you've already got too many and you're fairly bored of them, then you can avoid them. <laughs> I don't need any yeah. more in my life. <laughs> I'm looking at, uh, I'm actually right now looking at the BBC kids stuff. I'm a father of two uh, kids, a uh, five-year-old girl, three-year-old son. And uh, as much as I want some of this stuff, my son would probably look even cooler, like as a little compressed version of myself yeah. uh, and some of this stuff right here, man. It's pretty dope. Yeah, I need I need to ensure uh, my kid. He's actually eight in a couple of weeks, and I need oh, no. I, I need to make sure he doesn't see any of this online anywhere because he may he has in the past mentioned he like he likes some of the BBC Kid stuff. So yeah. I, I can't be telling him there's new stuff coming out as well. Oh man, and and Christmas is uh, it's not around the corner, but we got about one more holiday before it becomes uh, Christmas mania. It's uh, for retail. I was in the store yesterday. There were Christmas chocolate things out already. Christmas oh, man, Kinder that's... eggs, Christmas chocolate snowmen, and Santa Clauses. So it's Too inevitable. Early. It's it's Sheesh. nearly here. Yeah. Sheesh, man. But yeah, the stuff looks great. I really, I'm a big fan of this uh, kind of BMX flavored stuff. Um, a friend of mine back home was actually a, a, a young lady. She kind of uh, found like a like a real cool way to put it together. She had on like a like a kind of like a tight top or whatever, but then she had the BBC BMX uh, pants or whatever. The freestyle, the delivery to freestyle pants is what they're called. Um, and she put them like with heels. It was pretty dope. It was, it was like a different take on it. You know, you're used to seeing uh, guys knock them around, but, you know, you put them on a nice lady and it's like, oh, okay, yeah, those are great pants. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, she did her thing with those. Um, I'm really happy to see Ice Cream come back, man. I'm, it's... Um, it's just taking me back to like a pure place with this with this stuff, with the flashes and the colors and the mentality. Yeah, it's certainly um, um it, it's splitting the community. I would say at the moment, I'm personally happy to see it. I think the they've got a nice mixture of um, 
like the classic designs, the running dog and some cones and bones stuff. They've got a few new designs as well in there, uh, which look quite nice. So I think there's a good mixture. And I think the problem we had with ice cream before was, one, it was cheaper prices and cheaper quality. But yeah. also, you know, the the market was just flooded. You could buy ice cream stuff in like every department store and anywhere in every colorway yeah. with every weird and wonderful design. I think they're being a bit more sensible about it now and not pushing quite so much stuff, keeping it slightly more limited. Um, yeah. So, and obviously, you've got the the made in Italy sort of branch of it as well, which is helping kind of reestablish the brand. Um, so I think yeah. I think they're doing good things with it, and and I have to say you said about the the kind of sweatpants, the running dog ice cream sweatpants I think look really cool. I'm not a sweatpants yeah. person, despite me, I'm wearing a pair now that I bought the other day, and it's probably the first pair I've owned in 20 years. <laughs> but the the running dog ones they look really really cool, and I think I will have have to probably get a pair at some point. I stopped being a sweatpants person for a long time, but. Uh... I would say the um, Yeezus slash Pablo era of, uh, of fashion brought me back. I guess when they start thinning out, skinnying out or whatever, it's just like, okay, this is a good bridge. I'm not completely bummy, but I can dress down a little bit with these. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm all for a good pair of sweats, man, especially uh, this time of year in New York. If I don't have to be anywhere formal or professional, sweats might get thrown off. You know what I mean? So, i got to say, i got to give people a public service announcement. Um, and I'll probably get hate for, for saying stuff like this. But people, <laughs> sweatpants are not formal wear. They are not stuff to wear outside. If you, if you want to <laughs> run across the road to the store, then yeah, yeah that, that's cool. I'm with you. Yeah, don't worry about throwing on a pair of jeans. You're good. But if you're going to go out <laughs> shopping or you're going to go into town or you're going to go do something where you've got to interact with people of some kind, don't wear sweatpants, please. Just put a pair well, of jeans on, look, please. Just oh. Well, look at it like this, man. The same way you can, because sweatpants are becoming more and more refined in certain ways. You can look at them the same way. You uh, sneakers have to make that jump at some point. At some point, it was just like, listen, if you're doing anything other than playing basketball or like cutting the grass, you should not have sneakers on, right? That that was the mentality. But they evolved into something you can kind of, you know, if it's a certain type of sneaker, you can wear it to work. You know, if it's not too big or bulky or loud. Um, and then it evolved into formal wear because they have these premium leather, you know, low profile stuff that doesn't jump out and look like it's it's misplaced. And then they even have it where they have like wingtip shoes with like uh, Nike soles and stuff, you know. So I think it's just an evolution and the evolution isn't done, you know, and clearly it's some things you, sh- you, you can't wear sweatpants to. I don't think sweatpants are going to make it to wedding reception, like weddings <laughs> and stuff, right? But um I think they've made it to a point now where you can you can do stuff around them to where it's not just go to the store or just take your trash out, you know. Yeah, they're, they're accept- that might not be that might not be your lane, though. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. I'm I'm just showing my age. I'm just you know I'm just an old guy who just yeah doesn't like what the kids are doing these days. But bro, you're a dad though. You need the sweatpants. Are you serious? Like you got to get up. Your son has to do some early on a Saturday. You want to iron some jeans, or you want to throw on some BBC sweats and and get out the door? You know? Yeah, yeah. I know. I know. <laughs> I'm trying to help you out, man. I'm in the struggle with you. It, to be fair, winter is approaching here, and it's gonna be like minus twenty outside now. So you got to wear about ten layers out anyway. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Oh. All right. Well, I think that was everything I had on my list. Um, is there anything else from yourself? Um, 
I have really tried hard not to be too Neptunely random, uh, but I really, really appreciate this call, man. It's uh, it's therapeutic to actually talk to somebody <laughs> about this stuff, you know. Uh, so thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, I have some uh, like IGs or something to throw out if it's that part of the show. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, give people uh, okay. your your handles where they can follow you and stuff. Okay, guys. So my main page is. Uh, at Blake Symphony, B-L-A-K-E-S-Y-M-P-H-O-N-Y. That's just kind of where you get everything. Um, but I also have a, uh, a, a video page because I'm a videographer. It's at Blake Murphy Media. Everything's spelled correctly. Uh, but yeah, man, at Blake, at Blake Symphony. Um, I'm a producer as well. You know, thank Pharrell and Chad for that. Uh, if you just go onto any of the streaming sites, you'll see uh, projects from me, Blake Symphony, Beat Tapes, uh, uh, Nomad is the one I just put out this summer, you know, a collection of beats. And I have a TED Talks uh, friend of mine who had a TED Talks, and she has a couple skits on there just giving you some life advice about traveling and working and staying determined. Uh, and a beat tape from 2015, which is Dreamcast. Uh, both of these are Sega systems, you know, kind of keeping the Sega system theme going. Uh, it's just inspiration, touch points. So, um, yeah, Blake Symphony, man, uh, at me on IG. That's cool. And if you're listening to this in a podcast player, or even if you're streaming it on the website, there will be uh, links directly underneath uh, right now. So go click on those and follow. All right. Well, I think that's it for this week then. Um, I'm sure we will get you back at some point when we talk about other tracks or we circle back around and we talk about some unreleased stuff and crazy fan theories and all that jazz Man, I'm looking forward to it. Thank you so much for having me. It's an honor. No, it's my pleasure. And as I think I say most weeks, um, this is what we're here for. We're here for like us fans to get together and you know chat shit and throw all these crazy ideas and theories out there and give our opinions <laughs> on stuff. And you know, it's exactly what we're for. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, shouts out to and you can cut this if this is like some kind of thing. But shouts out to the Neptunes.org. You ever go to that site? Always. Yeah, they they have man, they've been great through the years. They've been absolutely, or he or she or whoever it is, absolutely great through the years. Um, you're like the audio version of them to me. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like <laughs> just I can dig in every little thing that happens is hitting their radar. I appreciate it a lot. Uh, you know, shouts out to uh, to everybody with the the Neptune NURD accounts online. And it's a community. You know, everybody just keeps everybody up to date and shares random little nuggets from the past. Um, so yeah, I appreciate you, man. I appreciate the whole NERD community, man. It's, it's, we're family. <laughs> Most definitely. We're yeah. Family. Yeah. And I've got to say, yeah, shout out to, uh, to Mika from, uh, Neptunes.org. He will hopefully be on here at some point soon when we actually get around to arranging it and scheduling it, which is the, the toughest part of doing this podcast. Absolutely. But yeah, all right. Well, that's it for this week then, everyone. Uh, thank you for listening. As I say, you can find the show notes down below wherever you are listening to this app you can find me at are you done what are you doing are you done yes we're nearly done hold on don't, don't tell her i said that you can find me at steve r penny on instagram you can find us at others podcast you can go to uh the others.net and you can cop some merch and more merch coming soon over at othersmerch.com that's it for this week everyone we will speak to you next time bye bye uh-huh. yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. cue me dog